Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. You know, there's this powerful phrase, maybe you've heard it. It goes, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Come on, how true is that? You start to look like your friends. You start to act like your friends. You start to make the same jokes as your friends. You start to dress like your friends, which for some of you, that's a problem. Show up with the same outfit. You become like your friends. You know, friendships are so important into the type of person that you're actually gonna become. And they're so crucial. You know that there are actual studies that show that people who have lack of friendships or who are social, socially isolated actually suffer physical effects in their bodies. Like people who are socially isolated, they say that they are more prone to early death. There's studies proving that. There's other studies proving that social isolation will lead people to have more heart issues and even make them more prone to stroke. This is how important friendships are in our lives. We need friendships. And God knew this. You know, in creation, God made Adam. And what was the first problem in all of creation? It is not good for man to be alone. God said it. And so what did he do? He made Eve for Adam. The Bible says he made a helper fit for him. But more than that, when you read the Bible, you see something so amazing in the Garden of Eden. You know, God made Eve for Adam, but God also communed with Adam and Eve. Like he was friends with them. And you see this language in the Bible. They would talk to God. They would walk with God. God would walk in the cool of the day, the Bible says. And there was this relationship where God decides, I'm going to commune with humanity. But we know what happened, right? Sin separates. And so sin came into the picture. And now Adam and Eve, who were once walking with God, they're now hiding from God. They went from this close relationship to this separation from God. Have you ever hidden from a friend before? You know what I'm talking about? Like you get into a disagreement, things are a little bit awkward, there's an unanswered text that was sent and you're not sure where you guys stand, but now you're at the Situate Art Festival and you're walking around and you see Bob right over there. And Bob doesn't see you, but you see Bob and you know he's coming your way and you're holding up your kettle corn high, blocking your face, taking the long way. Honey, let's go this way. Or you're in Target and you're coming down aisle 10 and Bob's coming down aisle 10. You switch over acting like you're going to aisle 12 acting like, look at these curtains, babe. Look at them. They're on clearance, yellow sticker. We do that to God. We avoid God. We hide from God. He's calling us to friendship, but sin will come in and separate us. We shift away from God. It's a very real problem. Sometimes people can't come to church because of this. Sometimes you come to church, you can't lift your hands because of this. You know, backsliding is really just hiding from God. That's really what it is. You go from walking with him to hiding from him, and you can even hide in the garden. Adam and Eve were hiding in the garden. They were there. You can hide in church. You can come, and you know, you pretend everything's okay, but, but God knows and you know. Something's different, and you've sown fig leaves on yourself, and something is off. Why? Because you're hiding. You're hiding from God. You're avoiding him. There's a separation between you and God. This is why Jesus had to come. Jesus had to come to the earth, die on the cross, to restore the relationship that humanity had with God. He restores our relationship, but it's so beautiful because more than just a relationship, the Bible says he reconciled himself to us through Christ. God reconciles, he brings us back in. It's this beautiful picture of a bringing back together, of a joining, a rejoining that God did through Jesus Christ. Jesus opens the door to friendship with himself. Jesus wants to know you 
and he wants to be known by you. That's what I'm talking about today is to truly know Jesus and become like him. You've got to know him as a true friend. You've got to know him as a close friend. You know, Jesus' call when he says, follow me, that's actually an invitation to friendship. He's inviting you into a close relationship, you and him together. This is what Jesus wants. And my goal for you today, and, and what I hope that you get from this message, is that I would encourage your pursuit of friendship with Jesus. I hope that you want to pursue him as a friend. I hope you want to get to know him. I hope you want to read the word to see what he says. I hope you want to pray and talk to him. I hope you want to do communion and remember him. I hope you want to get closer to Jesus and pursue this beautiful relationship, this friendship that he's calling you to. You know, we see in the verses we read earlier, a beautiful setting. Jesus is sitting at the Last Supper with his friends. And this is a crucial moment. I mean, you got to think of it. This is the last gathering before Jesus gets arrested and gets crucified. He gets everybody together. This is where he washes their feet. This is where he talks about communion. This is where he begins to lay out some very important things before he goes. But what does he want to make sure his disciples know before he gets arrested? What does he want to make sure his followers understand before he goes? He looks at them and he says, no longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. And then more than that, later on, he says, and I chose you. You didn't choose me. I chose you. You know, it's like you're standing in a line at dodgeball and God's looking and you got weak legs and you shouldn't be picked first. It's like, I'm not really good at this game, God. And he says, I want that guy. He chose you. You would never even have chosen God because you didn't know it was an option. How could it be an option? And God looks and he says, I choose you. And not only do I choose you, but I call you my friend. Jesus is walking by. I mean, think about the disciples, tax collectors, fishermen, common men. He's walking by the tax collection booth where Matthew worked. Matthew was hated by his friends, most likely hated by his parents. He was a reject and despised by his community. Jesus walks by, sees him sitting in the tax booth and says, follow me. He calls him to friendship. And then what do we see? He goes to his house. The Bible says Jesus goes to Matthew's house and they're hanging out. He's reclined. They're having a party at Matthew's house after he just chose them and called them. And they're reclining together with many, many sinners. The Bible says tax collectors and sinners all around Jesus. You know, from this story, Jesus was labeled. Did you know that Jesus was labeled while he was here on earth? He was labeled and he was called what? The friend of sinners. Why? Because Jesus is close to sinners. Jesus wants to be the friend of sinners. I'm glad that Jesus is the friend of sinners because that means God can be friends with me. Can you say amen? He can be friends with you and he can approach you and draw near to you. The friend of sinners. You got to understand, church, like we're not even worthy of servanthood to God. You know, we get to serve God. We get to follow him. We're not even worthy of that. And yet Jesus calls us to friendship. You know, John gets it in the Bible. John sees Jesus coming. He says, there he is. I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals on his feet. I shouldn't even touch the man. I shouldn't be around him. How could I get close to him? John gets it. But Jesus, what grace God has towards us. He says, I want to befriend humanity. I want deep relationship with humanity. I want closeness with humanity. Yeah, I know I shouldn't be friends with you, you would say, but I say, I choose you. Can you say amen? amen? Jesus chooses to befriend humanity because the reality is this. Jesus did not die for servants. He died for friends. When he was on the cross, he gave his life for his friends. In fact, he said this, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his what? For his friends. 
He's looking for friendship with you. He wants to be known by you. He wants you to follow him. He wants to have a dynamic relationship with you. He wants to be close to you. He wants you to follow him. Jesus is a real person. And he's calling you to pursue him today. There's a beautiful quote by the evangelist D.L. Moody. It says this, it says, a rule I've had for years is to treat the Lord Jesus Christ as a personal friend. He's not a creed or a mere doctrine, but it is he himself that we have. This is the purpose of Christianity. It's to know Jesus, the man, the good friend, the helper, the healer. Do you know Jesus as a friend? Do you have this relationship with God? Are you close to Jesus? Do you know him like that? Are you on the same page where you follow him as a friend? Because we've got to understand, church, that there is no middle ground in this thing. God has no acquaintances. He has friends and enemies, and it's very defined. In fact, the Bible is clear about it. Look at this, James 4, 4. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. There is no distinction. There is no gray area. Jesus himself said, be hot or cold. But if you're warm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. The Bible says no one can serve two masters. The Bible says choose this day who you will serve. It's definitive. It's distinctive. You either follow Jesus as a friend or you live as an enemy of God. There is no middle ground. That's why salvation is so powerful, because it's a shift in your life in the supernatural. You go from living a life and walking as an enemy of God to now befriending Jesus and into this beautiful relationship with God. Salvation is so powerful. I mean, think of it. It's an unbelievable thing. You know, you can tell when someone knows God this way. You can really tell, like it's so clear, because when you know Jesus like a close friend, you start to become like him, and it's all over you, and you get his characteristics on you. You know, I was recently trying to buy a car, and you know, I tried the dealerships and that whole thing. That was tough. There was a lot of markups, and so I started looking online at the private listings, and I found this car that I liked, and so I messaged the owner, and you know, he was nice. He replied, said, hey, come by tomorrow. You can come and, and you know, t take a look at the car. So I thought, okay go look at it. I show up to his house and he's so kind. You know, he's like, say, hey, come and see the car. He has it all opened up. He cleaned it like he detailed it just for me. You know, he really wants to make it nice. He's showing me the inside. He's showing me the good things. He's showing me the history. He's showing me the defects. He said, yeah, this is wrong and this is wrong, but I did this and I did this. And he's being so kind. And then he's like, hey, go ahead, just take it for a drive. And he throws me the keys. I'm like, you just going to trust me with your car, bro? Like, I just met you. I'm like, that's too much responsibility. I want you to come with me. So he gets in the car with me. We go on a test drive and we're talking, you know, first we're talking about the car and then we start talking about life. We start talking about being a father and, and being a husband. And man, the conversation gets so good. He's like, hey, you got to test the car a little bit more. Take it on the highway. Let's see what it feels like on the highway. So now we're really driving and we're really talking. And the conversation is getting deeper and deeper. Subconsciously, I started to drive towards home. This is unbelievable. Like, we were driving for so long. I literally, like my brain said, just drive home, dude. So I started driving home and he's in the car with me. And we're talking, but you know, it finally hit me like, there's something about you, man. Like, there's something going on here. You're too kind. You're too nice. Like, what's going on? So I, I start asking him. I say, hey, like, what do you do? <laughs> like, what do you do in the morning? Like, what do you do for work? Like, what's your life like? You know what he said to me? He said, every day in the morning I wake up, and the first thing I do is I read my Bible. I said, I knew it. There was something about you. I could tell. He said, I knew there was something about you, too. That's why I gave you the keys. Take the car. Go for it. 
And it was so cool. I mean, it was like the best test drive I've ever been on in my life. We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about church. And you know, it's so cool because he knows Jesus as a friend. I know Jesus as a friend. And because of that, we're friends. And it's all over him. And he's kind. And there's this goodness on him. And of course I bought the car. I had to. I prayed, God, give me a sign. Well, that was obviously a sign. So I took it. He gave me a great deal. He, he took care of it. You know, people who follow Jesus begin to carry the characteristics of Christ. You can't help it. You become like your friends. You're close to Jesus. Guess what? You're going to become like him. It's going to get all over you. That's why he wants you to be close. That's why he wants you to be near to him. I want to talk to you today about some of those traits that Jesus has, some of those traits that Jesus embodies and that he's calling us to have in our own lives. First one being this, that a good friend covers you. Good friend will always cover you. Have you ever had to cover for your friend before? You know, at school, you're thinking back to high school, covering for your friend who was late. Maybe you're covering for your friend at work, cover a shift for them. Jesus does this for you. He covers you. He comes around you. God's not out to get you. He wants to cover you. He wants to surround you with his goodness. There's a beautiful story in the Bible of a woman who's caught in the very act of adultery. She's caught in the act. And the religious leaders show up, they snatch her out of there, and they start walking towards Jesus. And Jesus was teaching a crowd. They take her, they throw her in the midst of Jesus, trying to test him and see if he's going to cast judgment on her. And what happens? Jesus says, let he who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And we know what happens. One by one, they begin to leave. One by one, they begin to go away until it's just Jesus and this woman left. Just her and him. And what does Jesus say? He says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She says, no one, Lord. But that's a powerful line for her to say because you got to understand, there was still somebody left who could have condemned her. She'd never been in the presence of God, and yet she sees Jesus send everybody away. And only she's left, and she's in her, her, his presence. And she can just tell there's something about this guy. He's not out to get me. So he says, where are your accusers? And she says, they're not here. They're all gone. I can tell you're not going to accuse me. I can tell you're not out to get me. And before he says to her that he doesn't, she just has this confidence about it. In his presence, there is no condemnation. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Jesus is a good friend who covers you. He protects you, and he watches over you. I recently took my daughters on a daddy-daughter's date. I've got two kids, four-year-old girl, a two-year-old baby girl, and uh, we went to a trampoline park. That was a lot of fun. And uh, we decided to go on the busiest day that this place has ever had for business. Like, business was booming that day. There was multiple parties, a multitude of kids. It was absolute chaos in that place. And my kids were loving every second of it. They were jumping into it. My youngest is pretty brave, and so she just went for it, man. You know, all the trampolines laid out. And they're going, and they're jumping around. And I'm doing my best to cover my kids. Like, I'm like, oh, my, oh, don't go there. Oh, don't my two-year-old's jumping. All of a sudden, I don't know why, some kid decides he's going to rush my two-year-old daughter. And this kid is rushing towards my baby girl. I go over. I catch her mid-jump, spin around, bounce around another trampoline. She keeps jumping like nothing happened. Like, this is great. Daddy's helping me. I turn around. My other kid says, Daddy, look. I look over. She's holding up a used Band-Aid. I run over there. I snatch it out of her hand. And it was chaos but I was watching over them. I wonder sometimes how many things God covers us from that we don't even know about. Because he's a good friend who covers. 
We don't even know it's coming. We live through life like we're jumping around on a trampoline park. Hey, I think I'll do this. All of a sudden, we feel a shift, and we're over here. What happened? God just saved you from that train wreck. All of a sudden, you're jumping over here. God says, hey, what happened to that person? God just took that person out of your life because it was going to be a bad relationship. God covers you. He's a protective covering over your life. Can you say amen? He's a good friend, and he covers us. And it's true in eternity. I mean, think of it. If you're standing before the very throne of God and you don't have Jesus in your life, God can see all the sin. God can see your propensity towards evil. He sees the deceit. He sees the injustice in you. But when Jesus is in your life, you have a mediator. He covers you. He stands between you and God. He said, hey, she's good. I died for her sins. Hey, he's good. He's with me. Look to the cross. They've got the blood of Jesus all over them. It's in God's very nature to cover us. Think about the Garden of Eden. What happened? As God had to send them out of the garden, what's the last thing God did for Adam and Eve? The Bible says he clothed them and he made clothing for them. Why? The Bible says we are now clothed with Christ. God has the nature of covering us. He'll cover you. And it's not just in the eternal work. You know, God will cover you while you're on earth too. He'll cover you. God will cover your marriage. He'll help you be a good spouse to your spouse. Husbands, he'll help you be a good husband. Have you figured out yet, husbands, that God's on your wife's side? Have you figured that out? It took me about a week of marriage before I figured out, oh, it's rigged. Okay. I see how you set it up, Lord. All right. Let's do this. All right. He's on your wife's side, but, but God will help you. He, he'll remind you of things. He'll remind you of your anniversary. Some of you need that. He'll remind you of, of little things. He'll show you how to love your wife. You know, the Bible says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Jesus will teach you how to love her, man. If you're just open and, and, and you're, you're receptive to him, he'll teach you and help you be successful in your marriage. God will cover you at your job. I've heard story after story of people getting promoted. You know, you, you might walk into an interview and you're unqualified and you know it. And you know what? They can tell too because your resume is creative to say the least. But you get the job. Why? They say, I don't know, there's something about you. We'll, we'll teach you that. We'll work with you on this. But you're hired because there's something about you. Why? Because he who finds favor with God will find favor with man. And God is covering your life. It works with your kids. You know, you might be nervous raising your kids, spending thousands of dollars on the latest baby gear, trying to make your kid the next Beethoven. God says, I'll cover you. I'll help you raise your children. Bring them to me. I remember when I first became a parent. God spoke to me something so powerful because I, I was feeling it. Like I had just become a dad and I was nervous. Like, I want to do this right. I don't want to mess this kid up. Like, God, help me. And he said, I'll fill in the gaps. If you stand under my covering, I'll fill in the gaps. Come on, ask for me in my house. Ask for me in my house. I will, we will, come on, serve the Lord. And if you stay under the covering of God, God will cover you. He'll cover your children. He'll cover your house. He'll cover your job. Come on, he will cover your life. Can you say amen? He's a divine covering over his friends. Why? He's our friend. He wants to cover us. Jesus is the good friend and a constant covering in our lives. You know, the story you read earlier of the woman who Jesus covers, he dismisses everybody, get out of here. And it's just him and this woman, and he says, neither do I condemn you. But what does he say the second part of this verse? We didn't see it early, look what it says. He says, neither do I condemn you, now go from now on and sin no more. Jesus challenges the sin in her life. A good friend, number two, challenges you. Jesus will challenge you. You cannot be friends with Jesus and avoid the truth. Why? 
Because he is the truth. He's the truth, the way, and the life. And in this story, it's so beautiful. You see a picture of Jesus truly full of grace. Why? He pulls everybody aside, takes her alone, and he confronts her, though, and he's full of truth. And he says, go and sin no more. God will bring the truth into your life, and he will challenge the areas in your life that need to change. Have you ever felt like God was challenging you? Maybe you had a conversation with someone and they were talking, all of a sudden they say something and it's not even really them, but you feel like God is saying it to you. You need to forgive someone. You got to change something. Maybe God spoke to you during a message. Maybe you've been in church. Maybe it's in a dream. Maybe it's while you're praying. God says, you need to forgive. Has God ever challenged you? Because when you know him as a friend, he'll come in and he'll challenge you. But you got to know the difference, see, because Jesus will convict and conviction is a bad negative emotion at times and it sometimes can feel like condemnation, but there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. And I talk to a lot of people and they'll have a hard time like, hey, I have this negative emotion on my walk with God. I don't know how to handle it. Could this be God if I feel sad about something? I'm very careful to answer that because you've got to ask the Lord and say, Lord, are you speaking this to me or am I being condemned? And here's how you know. Here's a couple ways that you can figure out and decipher. Is it conviction or is it condemnation? Number one, conviction always comes with a way out. God will never ask you to change something without giving you a way of escape. He'll approach you in your addiction and he'll say that needs to change. Why? Because I've got freedom for you. See, condemnation would say you have an addiction, you're an addict. Condemnation would say you lied, you're a liar. Condemnation would say you failed, you're a failure. Condemnation, number two, will always attach your weakness and your flaws to your identity. Conviction will not do that. Why? Because you're clothed with Christ. Your identity is in Jesus. And so your conviction will challenge you to your destiny, God's conviction. Whereas the enemy's condemnation will set you in defeat. Right. No, but I'm going towards destiny. I want to walk towards the growth that Jesus has for me. Can you say amen? Yeah. And so we've got to submit to his correction and we've got to obey his word. In fact, we read it earlier. Do you even know that obedience is the actual evidence of your friendship with Jesus? That's how you know. How do I know if I'm friends with God? Well, Jesus makes it very clear. What does he say? He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Well, there it is. The problem is that obedience is not easy, but the truth is that it's also not optional. If you're friends with Jesus, obedience is necessary. We've got to obey his word. We've got to submit to his truth. We've got to allow ourselves to be changed and formed by God. Can you say amen? You know why? Because the opposite of obedience is avoidance. And you avoid. And God will have you circle that mountain for 40 years if he has to until you figure this thing out. Why? Because he loves you too much. He wants to help you get out of that thing. He wants to help you overcome your anger. You say, I'm not angry. I don't know. <laughs> Why did you just blow up like that? God wants to help you with your addiction. He wants to help you with, with the different vices in your life. He wants to help you be set free of that thing. You don't have to live with these weaknesses and flaws attached to your identity, God can restore it. Can you say amen? amen? Jesus is the good friend who challenges us to become more like him. Number three, a good friend comforts you. There's a beautiful story in the Bible of Jesus, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And the Bible is very clear. Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They are his friends. He loved them. He would visit them and one day Lazarus gets sick and he eventually dies and Jesus hears about it and he goes and he approaches Mary and Martha and they're weeping. I mean, they're weeping. They just lost their brother and Jesus just lost his friend and he approaches and sees them weeping and, and the Bible says that he's deeply moved 
and he's greatly troubled. Why? Because Jesus is not separated from real human emotion. He's not separated from it. You know, Jesus knew that he was going to resurrect Lazarus. We don't know the end. Jesus knows the end. Jesus knows that in the end, we will be resurrected. Can you say amen? We have eternal life and eternity and in heaven. Amen? Jesus knows that, but he doesn't pretend like you're going to be fine. You're going to be in heaven one day. It doesn't matter what you go through. No. Jesus knows that while we're living on this earth, we will experience pain and suffering. And what does he do? In the shortest, most potent Bible verse that you can read in John, the Bible says, Jesus wept. He wept. He didn't move on. He didn't disregard the emotion. He didn't try to say, come on, you'll be fine. I'm going to resurrect. You'll, you'll be okay. No, he wept. Why? Because God is a comforter. Jesus comforts our emotions. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jesus is a good friend who comforts us in our pain and our suffering. He's there and he's present. You know, when people go through tragedy in your life, maybe you have a friend who went through something. Maybe it's a family member. You know, what do you do? You talk to them and you let them know, I'm here for you. We say things like, if you need anything, let me know. What are we saying? We're saying we're here and we're present and we're with you. That's what we're trying to say. And Jesus would say that to us. He's here, he's present, and he's with you. Can you say amen? amen? This is why Jesus sent us the Holy Spirit. Jesus sent us the Holy Spirit, the great comforter, because he knows that while we're on earth, we're going to need comfort. We're going to need help. Look at what he says. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you for when? Forever. And then he says later on, and it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper, in King James it says, the comforter will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus knows that it is not good for man to be alone. And in the same way God made a helper fit for Adam and gave him Eve, Jesus sends us the Holy Spirit, the great helper, to comfort us and to help us while we're here on earth. I'm grateful that God gives us the Holy Spirit. I'm grateful that I have friendship with someone who can comfort. I'm grateful that Jesus says, my peace I give to you. I'm grateful that through the dark times in life, when you're, when you're experiencing the dark night of the soul, there is a light that can come in and shine in your life. I'm grateful for the comforter. But you can only know the comfort if you know Jesus as a friend. Do you have this relationship with God, this, this powerful friendship with Jesus that's close where he, he covers you and, he challenges you and he confronts you, but he comforts you. Do you know Jesus in this manner? Do you know him in this way? There's a powerful story I recently heard. and There's a young man named Joseph Scriven, born in the early 1800s in Ireland. and He was an educated man, eventually graduated school, became a teacher. and In his early 20s, he met a young woman and they fell in love. And they were set to be married and on the day before their marriage, Tragedy struck, and in a terrible accident, she died, and he lost his fiance at a very young age, and he was absolutely heartbroken. I mean, he was devastated. And it goes that he was trying to get a fresh restart in life, and so he, he did what he could, and he decided to leave everything in Ireland behind, and he actually moved to Canada, just looking for a fresh start. And he decided that he's going to devote his life in servitude of others. 
And so he would help people. He would help sick people. He would help uh, poor people. They say that he would cut wood for widows. In fact, there was a story of a man who tried to hire him once because he was such an upstanding young man. He said, hey, that I would get Joseph to work for me. And his friend said to him, hey, you could never afford Joseph because he only works for those who don't, can't pay him. This is, how, this is how awesome this guy was. He actually got the nickname in his town as the Good Samaritan of Port Hope because he was so selfless. So at the age of 25, he's a young man. He meets another woman and they fall in love and he's restoring this, this relationship. You know, he's trying to recover from what he had experienced years before and they get engaged and they're set to be married in the spring and tragedy strikes again. His fiance gets sick and she dies at the age of 23. So now this man has lost two fiancés, two people in his life who he loved. And what does he do? Well, he continues to serve. He continues to help his community. He continues to be there for the people that need help. In fact, he served people so much, the story goes that he actually became destitute, like he had nothing. If he ever got money, he would give it away. And one year, the story goes that his mother was sick back in Ireland, and he was in Canada. He had no way to go see her. Like, he had no option of traveling. He didn't have any money. He couldn't send her any money, couldn't send her anything. So he did what he could. He wrote a poem for her, hoping that the words of the poem would console her in her sickness and help her. And he sends it out. Later on, this poem would be found, and it would be published into one of the greatest hymns ever written, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And in this poem, he describes this relationship that he has with Jesus who keeps him, who protects him, this close relationship where he can pray to God and give his suffering. It goes like this, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our griefs and sin to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pains we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. When he was asked, how he wrote these words. Joseph replied, the Lord and I did it between us. This was a man who had a deep, personal, close relationship with Jesus. And because of that, though he was no stranger to suffering, he was able to live a life in servitude to his community. He was able to become like Jesus. He was even labeled the good Samaritan of his town. Why, why, what's the secret sauce to Christianity? What's the secret to having a, a life filled with Jesus? It's, do you know him as a friend? Are you close to him? Do you have an active, living relationship, friendship with Jesus Christ? Jesus wants to be known by us. But the only way to truly know Jesus and become like him is to know him as a close friend. And I believe today that God is calling you to a deeper friendship with him where you know him as the coverer, where you know him as the challenger, and where you know him as the comforter. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, and his name is Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you wanna learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.